Would you take this moment now and bow with me in prayer before the Lord together? Unchanging God, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before there were mountains, or you had laid the foundation of the earth and formed the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Not you were, not you have been. You are. From everlasting to everlasting, there is no end to you. You take man and you say to him, because of your sins, return to destruction. Return, O children of men. A thousand years in your sight, O Lord, are like a day when it's past, like a watch in the night. You carry us away with a flood. We grow up, we flourish, we die, and we are cut down. For we have been consumed by your anger. But you have not left us in your anger. You have had compassion on your servants. And you continue to have compassion. That compassion was visited on the cross because you took the punishment for us on yourself. Satisfy us, O Lord. Satisfy us with the assurance of your mercy, the mercy which you have already paid for. Make us glad according to the days that we have been afflicted. As we have lived before you in sin and our hearts are broken by that sin, so, Father, we pray for the days when we will stand before you without sin and our hearts will be glad. And as the sins re reduce in our lives by sanctification, so we pray that you would continue to make us glad, to see your work and to see your hand, and even in the times of pain, to be confident in your love. Father, we plead for that. We plead for it as a congregation, that you would be with us, work in us, sanctify us, strengthen us, and Father, in that sanctification, that you would confront us with the sins that we have and assure us of the forgiveness as your Spirit turns us from those sins. Father, we ask for that. We praise you for what you have done, not only in the people we have together this morning, but the people who you have caused us to be witness to in our families, in our neighborhood, in the places where we work, in our society. We thank you, Lord, that you have seen fit to use us, knowing that you are working with poor tools. And so what needs to happen is your spirit needs to use those tools efficiently. And so the things we do are your work. And that is amazing to us and it is a source of confidence. We do praise you, Lord. We praise you for what you have done in Luke's life, that the doctors are ecstatic over what they see. They were the ones who had never seen anything like this before. They were the ones who said he would make medical history, and you have made medical history with him. You have used him for that. We ask now that his body will continue to recover, that his strength will proceed, that indeed he will grow uh, to enjoy manhood and to be a witness of your grace for a long time. We praise you, Father, for that, for the witness that he is and that what you have done to him is in the Waymart area. As the people look and they say, ooh, this is something that is, it's gotta be miraculous, for it is. 
May they be used, may that be used, to bring praise to your name and encourage the congregation there. We ask that the rites will continue to rejoice and have many years to rejoice in your work. We pray, Father, that you would be with the congregation in Lodi as you have taken their associate pastor to yourself. We ask, Father, for Westminster Biblical Missions that you would be with them as they seek to replace Pastor Mayville on their staff. We pray, Father, that you would be with Connie Trice as she is uh, under the weather this, this day in pain. We ask, Father, that you would be with her and raise her up. We pray for Evie Gross in, in, in Emmanuel, just as we pray for the whole congregation, but Evie because of her immune system problems. We ask, Father, that you would be with that congregation and cause Pastor Meether to be able to proclaim your word efficiently, effectively by the Spirit, that the congregation may be built up in sanctification, in numbers, and may grow to be fully mature and able to stand with your Spirit without our help. Father, we pray for that. As we ask that our children would grow up and be ready to move out as adults, we pray for, for Emmanuel as well. We pray, Father, for Lydia, that you would continue to work in her and strengthen her, that we ask for the relief, for relief from those seizures. We pray, Father, for the synod that we'll be meeting, the decisions that it must make for our denomination. We ask, Father, that you would be with us as we travel there safe, in safety. We ask that you would cause us to be able to deal righteously from your word with the tasks that you set before us, with the decisions that we must make, including the second half of the support for Emmanuel for the next year. We pray, Father, that you would be with us, that you would continue to strengthen us, continue to be with us, that you would be with us as we open your word, and that you would cause your word to be implanted in our hearts so that we might praise you more accurately and more fervently. For Jesus' sake, we ask this. Amen. <clears throat> Just in case you may have been a little bit scared, I do have my sermon notes. I'd like to turn you to John chapter 8. I'd like to start at verse 31. I'd like to read through verse 59. I know that's a long passage. I will not try to deal with every verse and every word but with the themes that John brings up. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave is not able to abide in the house forever, but a son does forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. 
they said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered him and said, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and who judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, then I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham became, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and passed by them. That far as we read from the word. A thought to keep in mind as all of this context comes before you. Jesus is the eternal God who bought us back from his own justice. We were condemned by his justice because of our sin, because of the sin of Adam, because of our sin. We were condemned by his justice. His justice had to be paid. He paid the price. He bought us back from his own justice because he is just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. If I may, as an introduction. The text we are looking at is still that last day of the festival season. It was the day after Jesus had stood up, as he did in Isaiah 50, or as he did, 
taking Isaiah 55.1 and proclaiming the gift of salvation as a proclamation of God. The next day, the one we are talking about now and have been for most of this chapter, he was back in the temple teaching. First, there was the, the woman taken in, the, in adultery. And then there were other things, and now we are here. This passage is the conclusion, conclusion of the teaching that he did that day in the temple. So if I may outline how we're going to look at it this morning. Point number one, what is freedom? Point number two, the parent trap. Point number three, who can set us free? So if I may remind you of verse 30, which was the end of the last section that we looked at. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. And then as we start our passage, Jesus said to those who believed him, he's addressing those who believe at first, but on second thought or under pressure, they change their mind. These are the ones that were impressed with him, but confused. Confused enough to leave. Confused enough to say, I don't know anymore. I thought I did, but this doesn't sound good anymore. And so as he continues his address to them, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word. Abide. That means stay in. Remember the parable of the sower? Seed was scattered. Some landed on the pathway. Didn't get into the soil. The birds ate it. Some landed in soil that was pretty rocky. Hadn't been well plowed. Hadn't been graded very well. And uh, immediately the seeds jumped up. Started to grow. But when it got warm and the sun came out and uh, there wasn't any more water in that shallow ground... They withered and died. Some fell on places where the weeds hadn't been taken care of very well, and the weeds grew up and choked them out, and they died. Some fell on good soil. Jesus is preaching what he had preached, what he's preaching when he talks about the sower in the passage in Luke. He's talking to those people who he knows are well, many of them at least, are going to be gone. Within a week, many of them are going to be shouting, crucify him. Okay? So verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Those of you who abide in his word, you will know the truth. What is the truth? We read it in the Catechism. The truth is what God has done for us and what God has done through the one he sent to be the sacrifice, okay? That you were evil, you deserved sin, you couldn't pay for it yourself, you tried with the sacrificial system, but that wasn't doing any good because none of the sacrifices you could make could pay for your sins. And so God paid for your sins. That's the truth. The truth is, no matter how hard you work at being a Christian, you can't do it. The only time you will be able to do it is after you are in glory, completely sanctified, 
It's the only time you'll be able to pray, to practice the truth and to praise him properly for the truth. If you abide in me, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So let me ask the question and then we'll look at it a little further. What is freedom? As Jesus begins this, he brings up a new subject. He had been talking about his departure, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. He'd been talking about that. Now he brings up another subject. And that other subject is what needs to happen to them. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, how is that freedom? Well, let's look. <clears throat> they said to him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, if you're talking about Israel, well, there was uh, 400 years in Egypt. Uh, there were the Philistines, there were the Babylonians, there were the Assyrians, there were the Amalekites, there were, you got a whole list. They had been slaves a lot. God had redeemed them from that slavery. If they're talking about themselves, then they are convinced that they are not slaves, not to anyone. Uh, why are they going to take Jesus to Pilate? Because the Roman government says you can't do that. You can't crucify a man. Not the Jewish government, the Roman government. Doesn't that make them slaves of Rome? Don't they have to pay taxes to Caesar? Rather than paying, well, they pay the temple tax too. Doesn't that make them slaves? They don't see it that way. We're at liberty to do whatever we please, is what they're saying. So they assert, because of that thinking process, that Jesus doesn't even know who he's talking to. That's why they're going to accuse him of being something other than the Messiah. Their reference, back to God's covenant with Abraham, where Abraham promised the land in Genesis 17 to his descendants, and that they would be his servants, they would be his people. They forgot that that passage in Exodus also contained the threat of discipline. That God had chosen them, but with rules. Who has rules? People who are under authority. So people who are not their own authority. That makes them slaves of somebody. However gentle, however normal, if somebody has the right to say to you, you can't do that, you are a slave. They may be your parents, they may be very nice about it, but you're still under authority. You can't do what you want to do. You aren't free. You can never be free. Maybe an honorable slavery. God had chosen the Israelites to be, their, to be his slave. That would be honorable. But there'd be rules and there'd be discipline if they broke the rules. Because God would not say, eh, well, okay, I love you. You can do what you want. Sin is still sin. God's slavery is what we were created to be. Our wills are only to be, only to be 
to do what he orders us to do and what he, he is pleased by. How can you say that we will be made free? Do you not understand people? Do you not understand what it means to be in rebellion against your master? Uh, in my family growing up, there was a drawer in the kitchen that was filled with wooden spoons. And when mother yanked on the drawer, it made a lot of noise. And we all scattered because we knew we were going to be disciplined for having broken one of mother's rules. We probably knew which one it was, okay? We, not like mother was surprising us with something. But we knew we'd gotten caught and it was coming down. Mother didn't hate us, but she disciplined us. We were under rules. We'll get to that in a few minutes. In verse 34, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Okay? Now, you, if you're reading a Greek text, you'll look at it and you'll say, huh? Because it says, amen, amen. So that it be, so that it be. And the repetition is making it stronger. Okay? Amen and amen. Okay? Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So to sin means that you are saying to God, I refuse to serve you. And that betrays something about you. You like the idea of being there. You're prepared to be there. And if you look at your life, as Jesus is pointing them to, if you look at your life, you'll find that that sin is not just the first time, and it probably won't be the last time. You may work for years at conquering a particular sin. Okay? If you succeed in conquering it, you're in glory. According to Paul in Romans 7, uh, you're going to find that it keeps coming back <coughs> because there's part of you that is a slave of sin. So you may live perfectly. You may be a Jew with no government. You may be living on an island all by yourself. And you may be a Jew. But that doesn't make you any less a slave. He who sins is a slave of sin. And so if you have gone to that, then sin owns you. Remember what we said about the, the nature of what Jesus was doing on the cross? that he was buying us back from his own justice. The sin meant that you had been sold by yourself into the slavery of sin. And you had to be bought back from that slavery. They thought that because they had been Abraham's seed, that God had said, I'm not gonna hold your sins against you. I will consider you innocent. I will consider you that I'm not going to punish you for your sins. Eh, they understood that they might accidentally fall back into sin and there would be times when they would have to offer sacrifice, but they thought that meant that they had paid for their sin with the sacrifice and with what God had done by choosing them. What they did not know is that God had said about them that the case of sin in guilt could not be paid by anything but a greater sacrifice 
than the sacrifice of bulls and goats and lambs. You'll find that in Hebrews 10 and in Hebrews 9. They didn't understand what sin was or what the punishment was. They didn't understand what the sacrificial system was. Okay? Jesus is saying, it's not that I don't know who I'm talking to. It's that you don't know who you are. You don't know what you are. You think you're something that you are not. And in verse 35, he says, A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. What's that got to do with this? Well, a slave may live in the house and he may go through the discipline and the slave owner may put up with that, disciplining him and correcting him and restraining him. Uh, but after a while, the slave owner is going to say, either you're dead or you're gone. Happens in business too, doesn't it? In a job. Somebody, you may hire somebody and somebody's a good employee. And then the employee starts doing things that uh, you didn't want him to, that you instructed him not to do. And you may put up with it for a while. And then you say, well, no, I can't put up with it anymore. You're gone. You don't have the right to stay in this place. Okay? A slave doesn't have the right to stay in the house. He's restrained to stay there, but he doesn't do it by right. He does it by restraint. And that restraint is removed, and he can be removed from the house. He can be sold. He can be disposed of when he's not needed any longer or when he's compromised. But a son does. A son will be in the house because he will inherit the house. That means that he will become the master. It also means that he has a special position with the master and the master will listen to him. He may even have influence over the master. So the son will stay in the house. If the son is in the house and the son decides to free the slave, the son has the authority or will have the authority to free the slave and to adopt him to make him a son of the house. That's what Jesus is doing here, what he's setting up. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. If the master throws you out on the street because he no longer wants you as a slave, you're free to that extent, free from him, but you have no right in the house and it's not a blessing. If the son makes you free and makes you part of the house, then you are free and you are really free. If I may apply that. First, is a goldfish free to leave the fishbowl? What happens if he leaves the fishbowl? Well, okay, so it's a clownfish and it's Nemo. What happens? Boy, there's a world out there that's after him. If it's a goldfish in a fishbowl, he's dead in a few minutes because he can't breathe air. His nature is that he is in the environment that he can live in, and to take him out of that environment is to execute him. He's not free, he's dead. How about a train? Is a train free to leave the tracks? There are still, I understand, in the desert of uh, Arabia, Jordan and Saudi Arabia, trains 
that were blown off the tracks in World War I that are still there because they weigh too much to bother to pick them up and try to carry them off and reuse the steel. Is a train free when it's off the tracks? Can it go anywhere? You see, freedom is not to be able to do whatever you want. Freedom is to be able to do only what you were made to do. That's what freedom is. What binds us to this planet? Gravity? Our need of food and water? What happens if you take us out into outer space and you don't put a, a space suit on us and you open the hatch and put us out? We're gone. We're not free. We're only free to do what we were made to do. And that was to live in this atmosphere, to live in this confinement. You see, freedom is to act in accordance with the purpose for which we were made. So what were we made for? We are bound by the law of God. We were created to do what he wanted. We were created to serve him. We were created to be his slaves, even without sin. Because what he said is, I created you to do this, you didn't do it, therefore you are subject to termination, death. You're not free. None of us are free. Jesus is challenging them with that. A slave is bound to his master. If sin is what we do, then we are under the command of the master of sin, Satan, unless the son frees us. Let's move on to the second point there. What's this about a parent trap? Hmm. Verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Where my word, Jesus is saying, had a place in Abraham, not completely, but by grace, it has no place in you. Now John's got another theme working here, and he's looking at that theme. The theme here is, what is sin? What is slavery? What is freedom? Now, what is this about parents? Okay. Where did... Isaac learned to sin. Where did he learn to sin? From hearing about or watching his father lie about who his mother was? Were there other things that Abraham did that weren't exactly according to God's law? You see, what happens is we as children, we look at our parents and we're supposed to learn from our parents. Okay? And we're required to learn from our parents by God. What happens if what our parents want us to do is against God's law? And is God going to step in every time your parent does something wrong and stop the picture and say, all right, now, you saw what your father did? He was wrong. Don't do that. 
you have to be born again. You have to have an entirely different set of parents. You have to be born by water and the spirit. Otherwise, the parent you've been given is going to, because he is a slave to sin, teach you to be a slave of sin, and you will take that sin and you will be enslaved with your father. Jesus in verse 38 says this, I speak what I have seen with my father. You do what you have seen with your father. Your father is a trap. Not because God intended your parents to be traps, please, but because sin is using your parents as a trap. Satan's slavery is using that to trap you. They said to him, Abraham is our father. Abraham was the one God loved. Abraham is the one taking care of who, that God has taken care of. Abraham is the one who has granted us the freedoms that we have. We already looked at the freedoms that they don't have, but they think they do. Jesus looks at it and says, you've done what you do what you've seen with your father. They say, Abraham is our father. Jesus says, if he were your father, you would do what he did. Because children learn by imitation. Okay? My parents started to go to church. They had gone irregularly when I was little. When, they got to, when, I, when we got a little bit bigger, they made us go to church. Happened in Bluebell, but whatever the case. Uh, when it happened, uh, we had to go to Sunday school first. That meant I had to get up on Sunday morning, had to get dressed in clothes, had to go, and I had to sit there. TV was still invented. It had been. We would look, watch TV. We could listen to the radio. I could go out and play ball, but no, if I have to go to church, I have to go to Sunday school, can't do that. I considered it mean. Then they decided it was right that they made me go to church after Sunday school. So I went to Sunday school and then to church. Boy, that spoiled the whole day. I learned to go to church from my parents. It wasn't my idea. Okay? That doesn't mean my parents were perfect, but you learn by imitation. How did you learn to talk? How did you learn to say your first word? Was it dada or mama? How did you learn that? You heard somebody saying it, and you saw the association between the person and the sounds, and you learned by imitation. Same thing is true if you're studying algebra, if you're studying physics, or if you're studying how to drive. You learn by imitation. You learn, if you're going to drive, you have to get in the car and you have to sit there facing the steering wheel. You learn how, how you have to work, the uh, instruments of the, car, of the car. You learn by imitating. If you want to learn to play baseball, you learned by imitation. We had a daughter who was born left-handed, and she is still left-handed, and she is thoroughly left-handed. But when it came time for her to decide she wanted to play catch with Daddy, Daddy threw with his right hand. So she learned to throw right-handed too, because she imitated her father. That's how we normally do it. Jesus says to them in verse 39, verse 40, Abraham did not try to kill me, but you were trying to kill me, the one who told you the truth about yourself. You are doing the works of your father, who obviously is not Abraham. They said, we were not born of fornication, we have one father, God. They just said we had Abraham as their father. Now they say they have God as their father. That's two. Jesus says from verses 42 to 47. 
If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. If God were your father, and you saw him send me to you, you would say, oh good, my father cares for me, he has sent me this person. If Abraham's your father, and Abraham sent me, okay? And if God is your father, and God sent me, then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Ever wonder what would happen if you came home from school one day or you came home from work one day and the people in your house were speaking in a language you didn't understand? Jesus says, hey, if you were God's children, if you really had come from God and you really were serving him, then my words would ring true because you'd speak my language. You don't speak my language. That's why you can't understand my words. I'm talking in a language you simply cannot comprehend. Okay, they're both speaking Aramaic, please, in this particular case. But you can't understand what I'm saying. You, can't, you, don't, you don't comprehend it. You can't. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. I tell you the truth, and you do not believe me. So look around at what I've done. Which of you convicts me of sin? Was it sin for me on the Sabbath day to make a man whole who had been paralyzed for 38 years? Was it sin for me to tell the disciples that they could eat on the Sabbath day? Was it sin for me to tell that man in the synagogue uh, whose arm was withered that all he had to do was stretch out his hand? Was that sin? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I show you the truth. Which of you convicts me of sin? I did it. Did God jump on me? Did you even jump on me? You said bad things about me. You said I was terrible, but nobody punished me. Because you all looked at it and said, that doesn't make sense. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Jesus is saying he doesn't seek his own glory. He tells them the truth. He tells them all of the truth. In Galatians 4, Paul reminds us in verse 7 that it takes a change of birth, adoption, to change. Okay? The parent trap is you need to be adopted by somebody besides your parents to be able to learn the truth. Somebody has to come in and take over for your parents and take you away from your parents. In Hebrews 5, Jesus' human nature was needed to be proved that he was divine like God in order for him to qualify as our savior and to be able to be the one who takes us from our parents and teaches us the truth. So Jesus is saying now, with a new birth, we learn from our new parent, the Holy Spirit. We still have much to conquer, but we begin to. 
We still take the triune God, to, it still takes the triune God to make it happen. It will be slowly until we are separated from that sinful nature by the separation of body and soul we call death. We have to learn completely new behaviors and motives, not doing anything to get for ourselves, only to do for the Savior. Before we learned to do what our parents did. Some were good, some were bad. We were taken to church. We learned that if we went, they were happy with us and we were rewarded. So we did what mom and dad said. It wasn't a matter of right or wrong, only what mom and dad said to us. Then the Holy Spirit came disciplining us to do what our new father tells us in his word and we began to act as if we had a new nature and did what we were created to do, act like God. Not because we could create, but because we didn't sin. You see, we really don't learn by experience. We learn by discipline. What do we learn? Well, we learn that dominating our siblings is bad. Our brothers and sisters, we dominate them because we're bigger than they are. We take the place of our parents. We take the place of God. It's what we learn in our families. I know I was the oldest, I did it. We learn how to manipulate others. We manipulate them by being good and getting them into our debt a little bit and then asking for favors later. We make points with mom and dad so that uh, mom will be, uh, well, all right, you did this again, but you've done so many good things, I'm only gonna spank you once instead of 15 times. The reason for our obedience became to get something for ourselves rather than to do something that was right. So who can set us free from this sin? In verse 48, they listen to Jesus and the Jews answer and say, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? Well, that would explain their opinion of the God of the Northern Kingdom. Now I said that because they would say they worshiped the God of Abraham, okay? But in Samaria, they didn't. In Samaria, they said they worshiped him and, and they had a whole different set of definitions for him. It's called the Samaritan Pentateuch. Jesus had gone into Samaria and he was considered an outsider. They didn't want him in the town, uh, but he came and he talked to the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans were converted in Sychar. That would explain their opinion of the gods of the northern kingdom in the minds of the scribes and the Pharisees. It would explain to them how Jesus could be wrong and maybe still do miracles. Jesus' response in verse 49 is, I am not. I do not have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. You dishonor the God that you say you worship because he's my father and I'm learning from him. In fact, I come from him, I proceed from him. Uh, you say you honor him, but you dishonor me. Can't do that. If my father and I are consistent, then you have to honor me like you honor him. Most assuredly, again, amen and amen. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Jesus had already said, there is a judge who's gonna watch. He's looking at what you're doing. He sees you dishonoring me when in fact you're dishonoring him. He's not blind to this. 
You're not getting away with anything. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Huh? The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. The prophets are dead. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Well, here's a problem of definition. Define death. The most common definition of death for us is separation of body and soul. But death is really, it begins with the separation of God and man. You will never see the separation of God if you believe him, because when your body and soul are separated, your soul will still be with him. You'll never see that. You'll never see the death that separates you from God if you follow his word. That's what he's saying. And it goes beyond anything that their theology could have imagined. For they believed that it was the sacrifice and the sacrifice made them clean before God and they weren't even sure that there was an afterlife, let alone heaven. Who do you make yourself out to be? Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? Who do you think you are? Jesus said to them, verses 54 and following, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It's my father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. Yet you have not known him and I know him. And if I say you, I do not know him, then I'd be a liar just like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Then he goes on and he eggs them on a little bit. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. What was Abraham looking for? God's salvation. Hmm. The Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old yet. Have you seen Abraham? He died, boy, I don't know, maybe as much as 2,000 years ago. How old do you think you are? You're really crazy. You're deluded. And then Jesus says something that irritates them beyond anything they can bear. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he was glad. I say to you, and there's that double amen again. I say to you that before Abraham became, I am. I know your translation says was. Ah, if you open a commentary or you open a Greek text, it's amen and amen because the repetition is an intensive. So it's most assuredly I tell you the truth, truly and truly. Let it be so if you want to translate amen that way. Let it be so, let it really be so. Abraham saw my day and he was glad. Before Abraham became, I am. Who was before Abraham? Well, there were a bunch of people before Abraham. But God was before Abraham. God created Abraham. God created the genealogy he came from. Jesus is making the same claim to a name and a nature that God made in Exodus 3, verse 14, when he's talking to Moses at the burning bush. This is who I am. They picked up stones because that blasphemy deserved to be executed if it were blasphemy. They had ignored all of the things that he had done, all of the words of the Old Testament, the words of John the Baptist, the miracles. 
They demonstrated who their father was. They didn't see God as their father. They and Satan have ruled out Jesus as Jesus as being crazy, demon-possessed. They are ignoring the evidence he, which predicted him and, demonst- and which he demonstrated. What we are supposed to do is bow and worship and praise and act like. That's what he should receive from us. But Jesus takes the insults and the curses and he'll take them to the cross. But we should also take them as Jesus does. We should pray with, this, with the psalmists who do this frequently that God would vindicate us and condemn them. But that's a plea and not a command. There is only one who can forgive sins. Only one sacrifice that God has made. There is only one religion, however many other religions there may seem to be. Okay? There's only one hope of salvation. Only one. So the answer is, who sets you free? God does. God alone. Nobody else can. All of your efforts can't. It has to be by grace and by grace alone. Bow with me in prayer. Before you, O Lord, we come. We look at what you have done. We see it recorded for us in the scripture. We see it recorded for us in the way you have worked, the way you have worked in our lives. And so we come in praise to you. We rejoice in what you have revealed and plead with you that you would make us abide in it forever so that your name is glorified. In your name we ask. Amen.